Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Neil Chethik, and our topic is men and loss. Neil is an author, speaker, and expert on the psychology of men. He is author of the acclaimed book, Father Lost, How Sons of All Ages Come to Terms with the Deaths of Their Dads, based on his original research involving 350 men. He also wrote Voicemail, What Husbands Really Think About Their Marriages, Their Wives, Sex, Housework, and Commitment. He is currently writer-in-residence at the Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning in Lexington, Kentucky, where he lives with his wife, Kelly Flood, and son, Evan. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I just love listening to some of the things that you got started with. Looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. What made you decide to write a book about father loss? Well, it's interesting. People usually ask me, has this come out of a personal experience? And um, the answer is yes, but not the death of my own father. It actually goes back about 20 years when my uh, grandfather died, and I happened to be living in the same city with him. Actually, it was Miami Beach, and I was down there between jobs, uh, getting to know him a little bit. He was in his 80s, and I was in my 20s, and he um, died uh, very suddenly of a heart attack. Uh, and what happened over the next two or three days after that was what really struck me, and that was when my father came down and was um, with me and his now deceased father, you know, we made the arrangements to send my uh, grandfather back to New York where he was from, and then he and my father and I spent a couple of days together going through my grandfather's home, and it was during that process that I actually saw my father cry for the first time. Uh I was uh, 27 years old, and my father was 54, and I had never seen him cry. And he also said some things to me and me to him that have really stuck with us and, and really forged the relationship between us um, that is much better than it had been prior to that. So I really saw for the first time what can happen at that crossroads of life and death where when someone dies, and particularly when the father uh, dies, um, my father was crying not only for his father but for the fact that his father never told him that he was proud of him. Ah. After all those years, and my father had become a university professor, and his, mm-hmm. you know, his father was an immigrant from Eastern Europe, but my father was still looking for um, someone to tell him, his own father, to tell him that he was proud of him and what he had done. And, and now your father would never, ever hear those words. Exactly. And it was that he would never hear them that really devastated him. Um, and what was exciting uh, was that my father immediately turned around during our time together and said to me that he was proud of me and the, the change, the work that I was doing in my life and the people, the relationships that I was forging in my life. And so from that kernel, um, it took me about 13 years to get started on it, but it was that experience that got me thinking about fathers and life and death and and uh, ultimately, I started working on the book in 1997, 1998. Mm-hmm. And you were already um, a reporter? Yeah. I so you were for, a writer? Exactly. I worked as a writer for some newspapers in the 70s and 80s and into the early 90s and even started writing a column on men's lives, men's personal lives. It was interesting because one of those columns, I, I just kind of wrote a little bit about my experience with my father and 
I got all of this email and, and letters from men, which was very rare because, yeah, as you know, sometimes it's hard to stir men up emotionally. But they started writing in about how, you know, their father had died ten years earlier and they were still dealing with the death or their father was ill and, and they didn't know how they were going to react. And did I have more, uh, you know, did I know of more research or more books that had been written on this topic? And amazingly, uh, late 90s, there had was not a single book on how sons deal with the deaths of their fathers, and that's what got me mm-hmm. interesting. Let, let's talk a little bit about men and crying, because I know that you um, interviewed 370 men and uh, asked them about the lives mm-hmm. and the deaths of their fathers. And one of the things you say there is that um, 61% of sons cried over the death of their father, but that means, uh, for, uh, you know, what, 39% didn't. Right. You know, that's that's interesting. What about men and crying? What do you make of that? Well, I, I, I had to work a lot on that one. Um, first of all, I, like you, I, I didn't quite know what that statistic really meant because on the one hand, 60% of men overcome this prohibition that we have really against men crying. Um, you know, right from the our two, three, four-year-old boys were telling them that big boys don't cry and were shaming them out of crying, and, and boys will, you know, start to swallow that emotion. And yet 60% of men overcome that and cry over the deaths of their fathers. On you the know, other hand, yeah, yeah oh, but go I, ahead. I was going to say, on the other hand, 40% of men who lose the most important man in their lives mm-hmm. don't cry. Right. What I realized, what I have learned, and this really goes to the, the fundamental part of my research, is that men do grieve differently than women do. Women do tend to cry more. I think it's probably more than the 80 or 90 percent of, of women would cry over the loss of a father, loss of a mother, but that men are just as successful in overcoming the loss, that is, of getting back to that state of psychological and physical equilibrium that you, we get to when we have recovered from a loss. And so what I really did in my book was to try to examine what is it that men actually do if they're not crying? What is it that men actually do to recover from losses? That's, and that's, that's really the, the focus of my research. Yeah. Well, aren't there some biological factors connected with crying also? There seem to be. From what I've read about men and crying, and you know, if you go across cultures, you'll find that men in almost every culture cry less than women do, which is generally an indication that probably the men who cried throughout history and, and the evolution of, of, of the human species did not um, survive as long. And that makes some sense if you think about men at the, the borders of our communities or doing the hunting. Those who were most emotional probably um, could not survive in some of those situations. So we, the, the survivors were the less emotional ones, the, the, the men who, who were able to put aside crying or their emotions for the moment so that they could continue to be uh, active in the hunting or the or the defending of a community. So I think there's some evolution in biological um, uh, reasons for men to not cry as much, but I still think that it's mostly the social that mm-hmm. we tend to now think, well, you know, you're a, you're a sissy or you're, um, you're feminine if you cry. And even if you give your children the messages it's okay to cry, yeah. they're going to go to school and hear from their peers, boys are absolutely stop crying you're being a sissy you're being a wuss suck it up get over it right and my father was a psychologist and he would tell me those things too but again i never saw him cry Mm -hmm. until i was in my 20s so we don't learn as much about from hearing words as we do from watching 
the person mm-hmm. that we're modeling. And mm-hmm. I didn't learn about crying from my father, and so I don't I don't cry very much even even today. It's very rare um, for me to go to tears. But one thing that Father Loss, my book, helped me understand was that I don't have to cry in order to grieve. Uh, very good, because I know uh, I've talked to some men who feel like, I wish I could cry, why can't right. I cry, why aren't I crying? You know, and, and other maybe their wives or other people are saying, you know, you really need to cry. Right, right. I think that one of the most important messages that I learned from from the research I've done is that, yes, we need to say to men and boys, it's okay to cry, but we also need to say it's okay not to cry. Mm-hmm. And you're, really and you're a okay. normal, you're not abnormal. No, you're not you're some okay. kind of cold-hearted, you know, monster because you won't cry or you can't cry, you are probably just a typical product of your environment and maybe even, as you were saying, your genetic makeup. But the question is, what do you do and how else do you get to heal from the losses? Completely ignoring it probably is not functional, nor is using drugs and alcohol and escapism on, you know, at great at high levels. But there are other ways that you can grieve. The, the, the father loss book, to me, is such a um, that that was my labor of of the of the soul. That was the thing that I needed to do to get through my midlife, where you sort of ask yourself the questions of real uh, importance of you know what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean? Uh, to be moving toward death, how do you live your life in a deep way, what's important about relationships. The the husband and wife book is a little bit more, of course there's a lot of depth in that, but it's it's a bit more fun and uh, and practical. Um, so, the, but the father loss book is, is, has to me been sort of the, the book that will stick with me and that I will feel the best about in my own dying days. I've got to say a few things about the Father Lost book which struck me. One is that I was really moved to hear that your father could give you something that he never got from his own father. It's really true. That's so important. And, and, you know, I, I, I often talk about how father, that relation between fathers and sons is so powerful, even if it isn't close, and maybe especially if it isn't close, because then there's that distance and that lack of connection that the son has and, and is hungering for. If it is close, then it matters so much, and, and so many fathers think that they don't matter that much. Mm-hmm. Um, we we think, well, the mother has the child. She could raise the child. She could feed the child. She, what do they need me for? But, you know, the father is such an important, uh, plays such an important role in both the lives of both sons and daughters, that I, I, one of my missions in life is to go around the world telling fathers, you matter, you matter. <laughs> well, well, That's really interesting because I hear that from my husband every so often. You know, yeah. I don't have the relationship with the girls that you right, do. Right, but even if it's, a, if it's not so much about talking, there's, it's, it's about presence, it's about being right. there, it's about um, blessing them in their right moments, you know, being there in those, those times of, of the growth, uh, you know, or, or the, the great transitions in life of having their own children and getting married and graduating from high school and college. But, you know, of course, being very personal, too, and be, being close to and asking questions about and their lives and, and being attentive is very important, too. And, and I think you said something before which I think is very key, and that's pr- being proud. Mm-hmm. Because I know it's so important for me that my father is proud of me. And mm-hmm. when my my husband lost his father, when his father died, my husband looked at me and said, 
my whole life, everything I've done is to make my father proud, and mm. now there's no one to be proud of me. Wow. That's powerful, and and it's it's also something uh, very similar to what I heard from many of the men I, I talked to. You almost have to when when men lose their fathers, they almost have to reinvent themselves. Um, what does it mean now that I don't have a father to be striving to to make proud um, right. to to give me guidance on where I should be as a man at this age or this age, or to to give me a model um, either for what I should be or alternately what I shouldn't be, but not having him there just creates a big hole in the lives of many men. Well, I uh, want to, uh, Neil, um, read an email we got because I think uh, this will be interesting. It's Mary, and she's from Canada, and she said, uh, Dear Dr. Horace, please, we listen to your show, and we really enjoy it. Uh, my uh, husband's brother died, and he is very upset but he refuses to go into counseling and won't talk about it. Do you have any advice, or does your guest? Mm-hmm. Well, I do. Um, you know, men men are part of our code is that we don't look outside for help very often, and usually we have to be in in a crisis of monumental proportions before we we reach out. We think we are supposed to be the the strong one, the pillar, and so we don't want to betray weakness. So it's very, very common, you know, extremely uncommon, let's say, for men to go into therapy. Um, and especially yeah, I noticed on your thing what was it only uh, a very small percent of yeah. men ever went into therapy. Eight percent. Eight percent. In your study of three hundred and seventy men, only eight percent sought professional help. Right, right. And so, uh, yeah, one thing we might tell Mary is it's not unusual, no, right? No, she, this is very, very typical. But you know, there may be things that he's doing, and 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 it's not probably a good idea to ask him. Uh, you know, say I notice you're not crying or you're not. Now, if he's drinking or using drugs or being violent or quitting his job and doing extremely irresponsible things, you know, ruining his relationships, then there is a place for, you know, intervention. But if he's... And Mary may have to go to therapy herself if that's happening, if she can't get him to go. Exactly. Um, It may be that she has to, yeah, that she's all she can control, and so it may be best for her to... To, to do what the, what she can on her end, but I do write about in Father Loss how wives and, and loved ones can help men who are in grief. And you know, one of the things is to be very inviting as opposed to intrusive. Um, we men, when you say something like, you know, you ought to be crying, or I think you should, or you haven't cried, that feels intrusive. That mm-hmm. feels invasion, like an invasion. Mm-hmm. But if if you say something yeah. more like, if you want to. Um, talk at any time, I am open to listening, and I wouldn't even have to say anything. In fact, if you would prefer that I just hear and not say, I would be glad to do that, and then follow through on that. That's funny, because last night my husband came home, and he had a big business problem, and he said, Gloria, I would just like you to listen to me and not comment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was able to say that also. Yeah, he said, don't try to find any solutions, just Mm -hmm. listen. Mm -hmm. Right, and I think uh, men would sometimes want that because they don't want that judgment. We feel pretty Mm -hmm. unsure of ourselves in emotional territory for a variety of reasons. So if we can just tell the story, and also don't ask them, so how do you feel? Um, it's not really a relevant question to a lot of men. We do have feelings, but they tend to be uh, equal to or less important to us than our thoughts or what we're doing. So, um, again, another thing is to just back away and give him a net 
but don't, you know, like a safety net, maybe touch him, um, but not um, get sort of into the soft core underbelly and start mucking around in there. Because he's probably trying to make sense of it, and he will eventually make sense of it and then be able to come out with it. But men like to have more control than they like to lose control. So I think the best you can do is to say it's okay to cry, it's okay not to cry. It, you know, I'm here if you need me, and I'm not going to be judging you on how you're grieving. Well, and you know what's interesting about the men wanting to have control rather than lose control? What's interesting from a female perspective is when men lose control, it can be scary for us. Yeah. For example, when my brother died, seeing my mother lose control was okay with me, but seeing my father was scary to me because I had never seen it. it it's, it's a it, funny thing that comes in, into play in the relationship book that I wrote as well, and that is that women will say, I want him to share my, his feelings with me. I want him to tell me, you know, what he's really feeling. And so then the man will be like, well, I'm really ticked off, and boom, he'll explode and he'll be angry, and they'll go, well, I don't really want that feeling. <laughs> you know, or, or conversely, he'll cry, and they'll be, well, I'm not sure about that feeling either. So it's it's a it's an odd thing, and men know it, and we pick up on it, and we, uh, you know, many of those fifty percent of men who grieved, who I mean, I don't mean grieved, who who cried over the death of their father, did it privately. Literally, they would say, "I would go to bed and lay there with my wife, and then I, when I know she was asleep, I'd go into another room and I'd cry by myself." I, I was going to ask you that question: Are they crying at all? So it sounds like men are crying, but they're crying in private a lot of times. Yeah. You know, that may say something about kids, too. If you've got kids out there who've suffered a loss of a sibling or a dad or whatever, they, these boys, particularly teenagers, may be crying on their own and you don't even right. know it. It's true. And, and, you know, I did talk with a number of men who lost their fathers when they were teenagers um, or when they were younger even, and many of them did not cry. Um, I mean, some of them did and some did uncontrollably, but many of them didn't cry um, in public or not, um, partly because... Again, they were in the, as you know as psychologists, this is, this is a rough territory when you're, you know, in your teen years, you're emotionally just coming into adulthood and there's almost like a, a, form, a formation going on of, of, of your emotional core. And so, you know, you can understand some things in your brain, you can understand some things emotionally, but you can't really put it all together yet. And so the death of a father, I found the men who actually did go to therapy tended to be men who lost their fathers young and only 10 or 20 or 30 years later did they go to therapy to try to deal with those that loss that they weren't able to deal with, with when they were young. Yeah, that's one thing Heidi and I always talk about. You take these losses with you, and Heidi works mm -hmm. with the 9-11 family, so there are a lot of young kids, mm -hmm. and you take the losses with you, right, Heidi, as you grow? Yes, and then sometimes... Another loss will trigger the first loss that really hasn't been worked through. Right, right. That was very common among the men I, I talked with too. Um, where, for example, a man like my father, when he's when he's uh, as, as he's now seventy five, as he gets closer to his father's age at his father's death, these emotions all come back up again. That seemed to be. In fact, one man I talked to said he figured out exactly to the minute how old his father was. And then as he got close to that, he literally noticed the day, the minute, the hour, the second mm -hmm. that he was older than his father ever was. Mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. that was for him like the period where he could let this go, that he could say, all right, I'm not going to die at the same age that my father would die. I'm going to, you know, have a different kind of life. I'm, this is all borrowed time, and now I can make the most of it. But it really was... Uh, Very interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Do you have any suggestions how else we should get it? Yeah, uh, you can go to my own website, and that's uh, Neil Chethick, N-E-I-L-C-H-E-T, as in Tom, H-I-K, Dot com, or if you just look up father loss, uh, Google father loss, one word, you can. I'm usually the first one to pop up there. Good. Okay, so uh, get this book. It's a, a great and very interesting book. Um, I'm going to cover one email, and then we're going to go to a little bit more on how men grieve. Um, this is from Fred, and he's from Detroit, and he says, uh, Dear Heidi and Gloria, listen to your show. Uh, I found it very interesting. My son died two years ago, and my wife is mourning so heavily all the time, I feel like I've lost not only a wife but a son. Do you have any suggestions? Hmm. Wow. How do men respond to women's grief? Men, men struggle a lot with it, and, and, I, and I think that's one of uh, uh, the key things I've learned is how different men and women grieve. And, uh, you know, of course, the loss of a child, as obviously you know, uh, Gloria, is, is just devastating on a level that, you know, you can't. I mean, I've written about how sons deal with the deaths of their fathers, and, and that is so much more of a, you know, in the natural order of things that it, um, you know, it's something that can be uh, not, not really prepared for, but at least um, you can consider it um, when you are you know you never think of that I have a 14 year old son it, even if I begin to think about it it it, it I pull back yeah. I, I recoil so and you assume that your parents will die before you right uh, but you know a child and so I, you know where I might be able to add any value here is is to is to really give your wife now you know you say it's been a couple of years so that is yeah. that is quite a while and and um, uh, it will never leave her, I'm sure. Um, but she also may be grieving for both of you, in a sense. If if you are um, not working it through yourself, she may feel like, well, I've got to do it all. Um, and so being able to um, also say to her what it is that, how it is that you're reacting, what's going on in deep inside of you if it's not on your surface anymore, how often you think about your son um, how you know what 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 you can do, and you know that might actually lead us into something that we were discussing um, or we wanted to discuss and and really, with men, and I think maybe this may be helpful to some women too, doing is such an underrated part of grieving. Um, we tend to think of it as crying and talking, but for men, doing is so valuable in terms of um, uh, the physical and the tangible part of grieving. You even mentioned earlier at the beginning, I I can't remember if it was you, Heidi, or or Gloria, um, mentioned um, that the woman who is out now working to get universities to put sprinklers into the dorms as a way of honoring the um, loss of her own daughter in this kind of thing. And I would bet that because of that, she feels, you know, that's part of her grieving process. Is yeah, Gail Menninger. Yeah, and she did it very early, didn't she, Heidi? And I, I believe it was. I think that's a good point, yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, men do this all the time. We, we want to honor, we want to do things that 
make a difference that are practical. So, you know, we may not get, you know, be in touch with the sadness um, in that deep sense that a woman might be. We may not be in touch with the anger of losing someone. But when it comes to just physically going out there and accomplishing something, um, we sometimes will say, well, that's not really grieving. They're not doing anything. He still needs to cry or talk. But, in fact, when I talked to men, they said, you know, that worked for me. Um, you know the guy John Walsh who's been out for years doing mm-hmm, America's right. Most Wanted, yeah. lost his child early right. on. He has been out there saving lives for mm-hmm. all these years so that he can say to himself, out of the death of my child has come the you know saving of many other children. Mm-hmm. My Men, child did not die in vain. Right. Men are, are, are particularly like that. Men are particularly connected to ambition, to accomplishment, to the practical value that can come even when there is this emotional devastation. Right. In fact, we had a, a, a guy on our show that was talking about how they bought an old house after his child died. Mm-hmm. And he, he, put it, he worked on it, and he wanted people in his life, but he didn't want pressure to talk. Right. So they'd come over and they'd they'd, re, they'd re, you know renovate this house and that's how he healed. It's so funny he'd call his friends and say come and help me. Yeah, and they'd have something to do and they could do it. Yeah, very similar to a man that I write about in my book who uh, the week after his father died, he and his mother and sister were at their family home. Um, these they, the mother I mean the son and daughter were now adults, but they all came home and they were the women would and men would come into the front door of the house and then the son would go out with the men to the wood shop where the father in the garage used to build things and during this period this first week the son actually used his father's tools and used his father's best little crop of wood to build the urn for his father's ashes wow and it was while he was out there with these men in the wood shop, you know, sanding the wood and, and staining the wood and building this thing for his father that he grieved. Mm-hmm. wasn't with tears. He didn't talk that much directly with these men, but he sort of showed them around, and he built this, and it was his way of making it through. Um, there's, a, there's a wonderful grief counselor I, I think his name is Tom Golden I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever oh yeah we've had him on the show okay yeah. he talks about how grief is like energy in your body you know literally almost a physical in fact some of us many of us feel it physically we'll feel tired or achy or headache or you know those kinds of physical symptoms and and what grief grieving is is the sort of gradual dissipation of that tension that energy in our bodies and it can happen through crying because that's actually very much of a physical act. You're, you're sobbing. You're letting it, letting that energy go. And sometimes we've, uh, some studies have shown that in the tears, literally chemically, there are stress hormone or stress chemicals that that come out. But if you can't cry, doing it this way through an act through uh, a constant uh, memory. Some people play the music that their fathers played. Some people see the movies that their fathers loved, read the books from the library that their fathers had. No crying, no talking, but it is grieving. And that's the way the men that I spoke with successfully grieved. Um, And I think this is a kind of grieving that women can do as well uh, and do do. But maybe we don't, if, if we would label it grief, we would honor it more, and we would um, 
seek ways to do it. How do we connect to the memory of this lost child? How do we connect to the memory of our lost spouse or father? Yeah, that kind of gets us into our continuing bonds, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Exactly. Yeah, the continuing absolutely. bonds is really, I think, what's so important. is In the old days, we used to say, all right, they've died. The best thing we can do is forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, But really the best thing you can do is integrate their memory into us so that we carry that on um, and, you know, that, that makes us um, more whole and it makes us bigger. Mo- many of the men I spoke with said, man, you know, now that I think about my father two, three, four years later, I smile about him. Mm-hmm. And that's because he's in there, in me, in a way that, uh, you know, he never was before. But I've done the work that brings him into me and, in a sense, keeps him alive. I was surprised that in your study that only 12% of sons used alcohol or drugs to cope with the aftermath of their father's death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're such a heavy drinking society. Yeah. I, that surprised me. Well, of course, that's one of those you never quite know about. This is self-reported, so you never quite yeah. know. But they did. Um, it, it depended on the age group. Um, children obviously have less access to that, so mm-hmm. they tend not to. So you could move them out. Older men usually... They, their grief was not as intense, and so they, they didn't use it as much. Um, but especially men between the ages of 21 and or 20 and 32, I think was the age group that I had, young men who tended to isolate themselves, they, especially if they weren't married or in a relationship, um, they would go home, they'd be alone. Those were the most likely to be in danger of falling into drugs and alcohol. And 25% of those men said they did. So that's a you know one out of four men who lose a father then are using alcohol, using drugs, um, isolating. You know, what, what's your take on that? Uh, when what do, what happens when people do that? What would you suggest to our audience if you're doing that or if you're seeing a loved one do it? What's the downside? The well, you know, I, I guess the surprise part would be that in some cases I think there was actually for a very small percentage an upside. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want people to be drowning themselves in this, but mm-hmm. occasionally um, men who are very rigid or you know or really can't get in touch with even how, what they're thinking, let alone feeling. Um, I talked to a few who said I would drink a glass or two of scotch and turn on my father's music, and the next thing I knew I was bawling. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this way of getting through it that allowed them the, the, the alcohol even helped them but it's what it's a very you know dangerous edge knife edge you're wor- working there and um, you know it, it's very difficult you know I would say if you are one of those people uh, do what you have to do to get out you know I mean you you this is where um, you are in danger of doing you know severe damage to yourself and going down a path that is not going to be healthy for you in the short run and long run. And that's really where I would say to those men, reach, go, go to therapy, find a men's group, um, do something to get yourself out go of the, AA, out of the hole. Right, yeah. right. But, well, uh, I, I think yeah. one of the things it can do is also delay grief so that you, you know, that you need to grieve when everybody else is grieving. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, when the funeral's there, you need to try to get to it. You need to try to go. And I think do the rituals uh, connected with grief at the time when everyone else is doing it. And if you block it off with alcohol or drugs or whatever, you miss that whole experience. Exactly. And maybe, maybe the men that are grieving need to realize that some of the stuff that they're doing, like we spoke about before, um, is grieving. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, revisiting their fathers, whatever, you know, 
Yeah, and books th- and, and videos and music. I mean, that's grieving. Yes, and that and that's a very good point. Um, if you do feel like you need to be alone, then instead of using the drugs and alcohol um, or 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 going to places that take you away from the memory, go right toward the memory. Be alone. Go into that memory because that's really how it's going. You're going to sort of. Um, chip away at the grief, at that grief energy we were talking about, letting little bits of it go so that over time, if you can come every day, come home and, and spend a few minutes with something that's related to your father, um, over a weeks and months, that is going to make a huge difference. That's a great idea. Have you got any suggestions at holiday time now about how people could grieve in relationship to the holidays, a man? Well, you know, I, I, I've been asked this question a couple other times, and, you know, I heard some things that you said at the beginning, and I, and I very strongly agree with those. Um, I, I, and, and that revolved around um, uh, remembering. You know, first of all, if a father has died um, or a parent has died, sometimes when the matriarch or patriarch goes, we allow for a dissipation of the whole family. We just, you know, fracture and everybody goes in some other direction. It's really important after the funeral, um, and I don't mean immediately after, but in the months after, to come together as a family. And, you know, holidays are obviously a good time to do that, to come together to affirm the fact that there is a family here mm-hmm. still, even without this person. Um, one of the men told me that after their father died, he was this guy who had started a family football game, and they would have it every year. At, they did it at Thanksgiving. They would have it every year, and, you know, they've been doing it for years. They play by his rules, and, you know, he was the guy. When they came back for their first Thanksgiving, they were sure that this had to happen. They went out, and they had that football game. They played by his rules. They invoked his memory. So really being direct about that um, made a huge difference for them. And then now over time they do have other families, you know, other families that are, you know, where the mother and father are both alive and they can separate out a little bit. But they try to remember him as a family as often as possible. Well, Neil, before we uh, go on to talk a little bit about father loss, I want to just hit on a couple of things that you say in your other book, (laughs) which is what husbands really think about their marriages. And there are a couple of things that came up for me, and I'm just going to make it short. One of the things you say is that men like company. Very yeah. interesting. They in, in marriage, they get married because they like company. Yes. Um, in voicemail, that's the other book, and actually it's spelled voicemail, M-A-L-E. Um, it's about um, people often think that men are sort of commitment phobic or uh, emotionally inept on some level, or especially that they're not really that social. But men are incredibly interested in being married, in getting married, in having a companion, and sometimes they don't express it in the same way that women do, and again, sometimes it's not really even about talking. We were saying this earlier about grief. Men frequently say to me that the closest they feel with their wives is when they're sharing space with her. That is, you know, they come home, they don't have to have a long conversation or debrief the whole day. They just like to be in the same place. And they're aware of her presence. Um, they, they even, you know, sort of reminded me of when I was a kid, I'd play sports. It wasn't that I was having, con- you know, conversations with the people I was playing sports with, but these were my closest friends. And it was sharing the space and knowing that they were there. And that's really what I found from men when it comes to their personal relationships is that they 
are very much um, into being social, but it's social in more of a space-sharing way. Sometimes they just want you to watch and breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Who wouldn't? (laughs) The other thing you've got that I thought was really interesting, and then we'll move along a little bit more to your website, Mm -hmm. um, is that you can change a man. Yep, believe it or not, I asked the question directly. <laughs> I asked the question directly to men. Uh, have you been changed by your wives? And uh, more than 60% said yes. And here's the thing that really struck me. More than 90% said that they were happy with the changes that their wives had made on them. Um, however, it was really a more of a case of strategy. Um, they don't like to come into a marriage thinking with their wives thinking, okay, now I've got him married, now I'm going to change him. What they like is more of an evolution of change. I mean, men get married because they want to change. They want a new life. They know it's going to be different. In fact, one of the reasons they take longer to decide to marry is because they know it's going to be different. And so, however, they also want it to be a, an evolution of change. And so, when women model change, when they invite change, but they don't demand change or require it in order for them to stay in the same relation in the relationship, that's when it gets tough. When it's required, when it's demanded, when it's created as some kind of you know problem. Oh, that's interesting. So women, don't get discouraged that you can't help your man make some changes. And we women have quite an influence uh, over the people in their lives as men have over their wives. Absolutely. So good point. Um, g- give us your website and all that before we close the show. Okay. Again, it's neilchethick.com. Chethick, uh, Neil, N-E-I-L, Chethick, C-H-E-T as in Tom, H-I-K. Or you can look up Father Loss. Uh, just Google Father Loss, and you can find my website and my book. That's great. Now, do you have any uh, closing comments you want to make before we close the show? Well, I think with men, I, I just want to say um, to men who, you know, especially who have whose fathers have died or who, who are dealing with a, a lost person these days, is to really trust your mourning process. Uh, you know, you may want to be alone or with others. Uh, you may feel a lot or very little. You may cry or not. Um, but allow it to take uh, its course. Uh, at the same time, monitor yourself and notice whether you are um, doing things that uh, are unhealthy. And if you are, then reach out to your spouse or sibling or friend or a clergy person. And um, if you're lucky, you'll never forget your father, but he'll let you rest. <laughs> and what about the women out there? What would you suggest to them? I would say... Trust your husband's or your uh, your your son's or brother's mourning process uh, at least for a while, and don't try to uh, judge it or or make it better or worse than yours. Remember that um, grieving is a a totally individual experience. Um, uh, invite, but don't invade. I like that also. What we, you know, this is at the very end of the show. We're getting into this, but I must say, I do feel like I need to comment on intimacy. Mm-hmm. Men really need that, don't they? Oh, absolutely. 
we, you know, I mean, it, of course, intimacy is, is, is different for everybody, and that was actually the word that I asked men when, we, when I was writing voicemail. Um, I asked men, you know, when do you, are, do you feel most intimate with your wife? And, of course, sex came up, and sometimes talking came up, but, again, it was just that sitting side by side in a car while you're driving, um, talking every now and then, but it not being sort of boring into each other's eyes. Uh, men like to be side-by-side side as much as face-to-face, and sometimes even more f- than face-to-face. It's more comfortable. It's less intimidating. Um, and it makes you feel like you're on a journey. You're, you're doing with someone else. And so, you know, women have a way, and men need to know it, um, but men have a way, too, of being intimate that's a little bit different but still um, should be honored. Uh, men's emotional lives, and that's kind of my under underlying uh, message, is men have inner lives. They don't always show it. They don't always express it. Um, but they are real. They are worthy of um, being honored, and um, they are, they will be opened as long as men feel safe. Oh, thank you. That's a wonderful uh, note to close the show on. We want to thank you so much for being on the show, Neil Tepchethit. It was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. It was very enjoyable. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.